You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I went to Game 2 on Saturday, right? of the first homestand. And although I had a wonderful time, met several people. In fact, I sat down and a guy sitting next to me goes, are you the guy from the Sacks in the Basement podcast? And that blew me away. That's awesome. And then he goes, are you Chris or Dave? And I go, I'm Chris. <laughs> and then his first reaction was, you know, Dave's nuts. And then I went and I saw the 108 guys. And the first thing I did is I sit down, I'm talking to them. And right away they were like, Dave's a little nuts, isn't he? Like, you're starting to get the reputation as the guy, the screaming, angry guy, but it's totally cool with that. Everybody thinks it's great. Good. Everybody loves that you're yelling and everything like that. Well, and But you become, like, every person I encountered. I met an Australian White Sox fan. Thick Aussie accent. Came to the section just to get a hat. That's a awesome. A Sox in the basement hat. Okay? Right away, he's like, what's up with Dave? He's really angry. And then he just starts laughing. Like, you're, that's what your role seems to be right now. I would just like to point something out to you um, and Sox fans right now. So for those of you who would rather have had Daniel Palka in right field than Bryce Harper, um, Bryce Harper right now, I would just like to point out, has a 345 batting average. Don't have his OPS in front of me, but uh, has Polka got a hit yet? Uh, I think, is he at a, a, a still zero no, average? No, he's, he's got a 0, 0, 0 average, but he's got a 0, 0.87 on base percentage. So how's that working out? How's that working out for you guys? Twice. Guys, how's that working out got, for you? He's got two walks. Those, all, those people, all those people who told me I was nuts for wanting Bryce Harper because we have Daniel Polka. How's that working for you guys? <laughs> how's got, that, how, Polka Maniacs, how are you feeling right he's now? He's got two walks, both of them for RBIs. So he's responsible for two runs coming in because he walked with the bases loaded twice. I was gonna do a Machado Yomer Sanchez comparison because uh, I heard the same ridiculousness that I, why do we need why do I we don't need, know. why do we need Manny Machado when we have Yomer Sanchez at, 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 in the infield? So I, I'll, I'll save that comparison for next there, week. There I'll, is, give, I'll give Manny another week to pad his stats. Well, those those are the fringe fans that don't understand baseball. No, Chris, there are a lot of those people out there. No, a lot I, of them. I don't want to even discuss baseball with them. Here's the th- here's the things that I saw <laughs> in the first week that I'm or the first week or so that I'm excited After about. After watching the first week of White Sox, do you even want to talk baseball at all? Yeah, I do. I'm okay. Re- look, okay. we said at the beginning of the year, and we said in the offseason, that the most important pieces of this team, they, your, your guy that's over third base, Moncada, and Tim Anderson, and Aloy Jimenez. And, like, you want Abreu to stay healthy and keep playing well, but but other than that, that's, that's your core right now. Those are the guys that should matter the most to you when you're watching the team. And thankfully, those are the four guys that are really, that are really sort of pulling their weight right now. Well, I mean, no, uh, Aloy, so, so, I wouldn't say Aloy is pulling his weight, but well, it's his first, it's, it's his first right. week in the major leagues. But but to but to be where he's here's the thing, to be where Aloy is at right now for being you know a week and change in in professional baseball, you're not dissatisfied about it. You're looking at it and you're going, okay, well, this is about where you would expect him to be in this first two weeks of playing. Fine. You know, so, okay, here's me. I admit, so far, Tim Anderson is proving me very much wrong with my Willie Harris comparisons, even though Willie Harris is still better at defense, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, Yoan Mankata is proving me very much wrong about how he's 
going to be a career 230 because he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball and he's throwing some nice leather at third base. So uh, he's in a am, little bit of a slump. He's dropped the 316. Oh, right. Oh, well, you know, right. I am you. I am very I am very happy with what you've seen with what we've seen out of those two guys. Jose Abreu is Jose Abreu. I mean, he 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 is doing what Jose Abreu does, right? And Jimenez uh, is what you would expect him to be doing, and everything else pretty bad. Well, here's here's the thing that I'm most impressed with Jimenez: the fact that he started off and he couldn't get a hit when he first came out, and instead of pressing, he drew walks and started hitting singles. He's got nine hits, and they're all singles. His slugging percentage I have that right is the me. exact same as his average right now at 257. Yeah, that's why I saw that. That's and weird. That's because he has nothing other than singles. When you have nothing but singles, that's why that stays exactly the same. Right, he's not so walking. What he's what he's no no no, his his OPS is higher because his OBP is when you walk. So his walks, his well, OBP sorry, slugging percentage, right. slugging yeah. slugging percentage. percentage is if he's My getting bad. if he's getting bigger hits like doubles and triples and home runs. It's not affected because all he's got is singles. So what I like is here's a guy that could be pressing to the point where he's trying to get the big home run. He's trying to be the star. And he seems to have this calm about him where he'll take a walk. He'll notice a pitcher isn't pitching very well. And he'll sit there and he'll let the guy basically hang himself. He'll see a hole and he'll put the ball through the hole because he knows he's still trying to figure out now, major league pitching. I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by the fact that he started off even worse than where he's at now, and he's got himself already up to. He's hitting so at this point, at, he's this, at this point, he's got uh, at this point he's got 35 at bats. He pretty much leads, just about leads the team in at bats besides Mancata. He's got 35 at bats, nine hits. He's only got two walks though. Yeah, he's so, got 13 strikeouts. Yeah. But he's he's listen. He's going to come around. I see a lot of positives in what he's doing. I I have also felt like, and I, it was interesting. I heard, and I don't. I never get good insight generally from the radio crew. But I heard Darren Jackson talking about how he's playing the outfield, and he goes, this is a difficult left field to have to play because of the way that the shadows come across during the day. And, you know, the ballpark's really technically in the wrong direction. We built a ballpark that faces in the wrong way. We're like the only... Like oh, ever, that's a White Sox thing. <laughs> that's, that, that would be a White Sox thing to do. built in the right direction. Yeah, no, that would be so, the White Sox so thing So it's a do. very difficult thing to get used to, and he's been hesitant to go after balls right off the crack of the bat. He wasn't reading things very well, and just recently in the last day or so, he's starting to read things. So you could see him progressing and getting better, and I'm excited about that. So look, the guys that mattered are playing well. The pitching concerns me far more. Oh, yes. Because you need to get deeper in games than these guys are getting. And a lot of people have criticized Renteria. And I, I, here's, I'm the first person to say, sometimes when he goes from one relief pitcher to another relief pitcher, he may have made a mistake. Or when he selects who he's bringing in from the pen, he may have made a mistake. But I have no problem when I hear that the reason he went out there and grabbed Lopez in a recent game and told him, stay in the game and finish the inning. It sounded like he basically, like, Lopez was done. Mm. Ronaldo was done on opening day. And he walked out there and was like, you're going to finish this inning. I have no problem with the fact that he makes Rodan when he wastes a ton of pitches and it takes him a long time. A lot of, it was 117 pitches and he didn't get through five innings the other day. Okay. I have no problem with him holding him out there as long as he did, because there's got to be a point where you find out, can these guys actually pitch deep? Do they have what it takes to be a starter? I can't yank them out and save them every time they're in trouble. Ozzie Guillen used to do that with John Garland. John Garland used to drive everybody nuts. In 2004, Ozzie Guillen messed with Garland so much, he never wanted to take him out of a game. Garland got killed left and right. 
people would be like, why does he keep leaving him in there? When 05 yeah, came around to right. see how he, Dean figured out what his limits were and how far he could push him because he did that. If that's what Renteria is doing, I'm not mad no, and, at and, the decisions that are being made with the starting pitcher because you have to find out who can go deep and who can't. With, who can get through a situation and who can't. Right. With Garland, too, if you're like, that's that's true because I remember that. It was always like that third or fourth time through the lineup when Garland would really start to get shelled that right. year in 2004. But, but so I get, was, so I, all right, I get, I get that. But Guillen wanted still, him to learn and he wanted him to push through it. We still don't know if Renteria can handle a bullpen properly though, because look, here we go. Like with the exception of Nate Jones, who's still out there, your bullpen is pretty much completely revamped now. Okay. And they're still really bad. So you know, you have to look at the common denominator of that now. Is it that just Renteria is not using these guys the right way? Well, I think when it comes to bullpen deciding which guys he's bringing in, he's still, I, I'm not convinced that he's doing it well. See what I'm saying? Yes. I still feel like the jury is out because I think up until this year, there were times where with the bullpen, he was bringing in guys to see what they could do. Hans said that in, pre in previous interviews. He used to make Ventura do that too. When he was trying to figure out, is this guy good or not? Throw him out there even in a situation that you don't believe he should be there. Okay. Because they, they and that was a directive that was coming from above. Because he admitted that in previous interviews with Ventura. And he admitted that at previous Sox Fest with Renteria. Not the one this year. But that there are times where he's told the managers, I need to see what this guy can do. And so from time to time, relief choices have been bad. But we're not at that point anymore. This shouldn't be, no. we're trying to get the top draft choice anymore. These guys need to learn how to win. So the manager needs to start showing me he knows how to make decisions in the bullpen. But like I said, when it comes to starters, if he wants to put a guy in a situation where you need to fight through this, I'm all for it because we have to find out who can do it and who can't. Because when we don't have enough of them, we need to know how many free agent starters do we need to go and get when it's time for this team to um, be good. Well, about that, it's, hey, Chris, you know what? Listen, man. Santana's coming. He's going to save this pitching staff for the three weeks of the year that you're actually going to get out of listen, him. Listen to me. Listen Before to me. his thumb falls off. No, I thought it was his arm that was going to fall off. Well, thumb, arm. His thumb is connected to the arm. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. I bumped into him on the second home game of the season. He gave me a look like, I know you, and then we embraced. James Fox is on the program right now. Future Sox and also Loop Sports. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. That was rough getting into that ballpark. Before we get into anything, Saturday, the game two. Now, I, they were, I think they were expecting a crowd for game one. But game two, I get off the Dan Ryan Expressway with my dad at 11.15 in the morning. And I don't make it to a parking lot in a space until 12.15. I was getting off at Pershing and the Dan Ryan an hour to get in there. And then when we got there, there was one guy taking tickets coming in from our direction into the lot that we were pulling into. And there were two guys driving up in their pickup trucks, jumping out of the car like they had just been called in. I don't think the White Sox expected a crowd on the most beautiful day to date at that point in the city of Chicago. Yeah, no, they didn't. I heard I had heard similar things too from people that I know that work there. Just that they they were thinking I think twenty two, twenty three thousand early. Um, you know, I got a buddy that I know in ticketing that said he got called in. He was told there was going to be like five to six thousand walk up, and I think it was a heck of a lot more than that. I mean, we got I got off the train coming from New Lenox, so it was you know it was pretty easy. But as soon as you get off the um, 
at the 35th street stop, there's like people everywhere. And it was like, Holy cow. It's like not something that we've been used to, you know? So I'm used to, I'm used to, I'm used to my ballpark empty. So, well, the funny thing is you show up, it was hard to get into the gates. That might be from the thing that drives my father nuts. He was like, wait a minute. I have to have a smartphone to get a ticket now. He's like all upset about this. He's very angry. He's, I mean, he is, he, he does not have a smartphone. And he's like, I got to buy a smartphone. And I'm like, well, you can bring your iPad with your ticket on it. He's like, I'm not doing it. Like he's, he's like beside himself right now. I think the only games he's going to is with his son. Cause I have a smartphone and he doesn't, but then I get in there and I was sitting in the goose Island section and I ran into a girl that was working in that section. And I went to high school with her and I saw her covering three different positions. Like they didn't have enough people and they're just scrambling, running around. I felt bad for the staff. Because it felt like nobody anticipated a crowd that day. But you know what? If you're going to say, come on out, we're giving stuff away. I'm listening to the broadcasters. Come out to the ball game. Come out to the ball game. They always complain there's no fans. Fans showed up and they're, they, they they weren't ready. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not the first time that it's happened early in the year for games. I mean, I'm, I'm used to going, you know, opening day is always kind of a nightmare, but you, you kind of plan for that. But, I mean, there's been other games recently where, I mean, you know, they had a game on a Saturday that was like the second game of the season a couple of years ago, and like the ice froze everything in the upper deck, and they couldn't get anything unfrozen, and they had to close the entire upper deck and bring everybody downstairs, like spur of the moment. Like there's first pitch, and there's still people waiting in lines outside because the security thing takes so long. I mean, it's just, you know, I think they'll get it together, but they're also not going to have crowds like that. I mean, it's just. It's not going to happen. You're not going to have an Eloy debut. I mean, I guess the Cease debut will bring people, you know, and the Cubs games will. And because, I mean, honest, they're not going to be good enough to bring huge crowds. So I think it'll be pretty much what it's been. They've got a hope that they're going to start filling that place with this team getting better. And they've got a lot new, a lot of new procedures to get into the ballpark. I would hope they're going to figure that out eventually. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you. Your first impressions of this season, what stands out to you at this point early in the year? It's, and you don't want to make snap judgments about guys. I mean, I I'm the first person to sit there and say, Daniel Polko has been terrible, but he was clearly part yeah. of the plan for the long term. You're not going to send a guy down after a week and a half. You want to see if he's just having a bad start, but what are you, what are your first impressions of this team? Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough for me just being like, so writing for future socks. Okay. We just wrote up previews and, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff that's going on, like, on the farm. And so then you take a wider lens and you look at the big league club, and obviously they're more interesting, right? Because, like, Moncada's good. That's, like, what matters. Eloy's up on the team. Tim Anderson's playing well. And I think Tim Anderson's a guy that, like, maybe a lot of people weren't planning on being a part of this thing. But, I mean, if he's going to be a 25 home run, 25 steal guy that plays really good defense at short, he doesn't need to get on base, like, a 340 clip. He can be a nine hitter on a good team. Like, that's fine. You know, I, I think you wish that your starting pitchers were a little bit better. Um, I, I think you need to watch the baseball games and not worry about how they win. I think when they win, hope that they win because of the guys that are going to be here. You know, I mean, look, if they win 80 baseball games this year because Yonder Alonzo and John Jay come back and they're good and our young guys are bad, like, that's not a good outcome. You know, but if you if you win seventy three games and Yon Mankat is a five war player and you know Eloy looks you know like you expect him to and 
Rodon is is good and those guys are good, then I think that's I think that's a win there. Now, you know, the the Palka comment's funny because I was talking with some guys today about this. They they just they still have too many bad players that don't matter. And I know that's like kinda like, oh yeah, they have too many bad but they have too many bad players. I mean, this is like year three of the rebuild, and you should be—I feel like you should be churning guys in and out, right? You sh- it should be constant waiver claims, constantly looking at guys, and you know, I've been all over like the Ryan Cordell thing because it—it—it's it, just crazy to me. Because now I don't think Ryan Cordell is like a starting outfielder on a playoff team. I don't know, but I know some guys that aren't, and they're still playing on the team, and he's not. So. It like it doesn't really make any sense to me, and we're you know we're we're seeing Yolmer Sanchez every day. We kind of know what Yolmer Sanchez is, I think. Like I'm pretty sure he doesn't need to be playing every day anymore. The same thing with Adam Engel, you know. I mean, it, it's very likely that Ryan Cordell and Jose Rondon are nothing too. But let's find out. Let's let's see. Lewis Robert, amazing start to the it, season. Is an absolute stud. Yeah. I mean, a- absolutely, just an amazing start to the season. It looks like it looks like all the things that I was afraid of that they were like, well, you know, he's dealing with injuries, and well, he's adjusting to this, and don't worry, it's going to happen. And I kept going, oh god, this guy's going to be a bust. I can't believe this. And he comes out to start the year, and you go, oh, oh, I see it now. I could see it when I'm seeing the replays. I could see a, I could see the confidence when he's playing. I- I'm excited about it. But now I have that irrational need to get him here as quickly as possible. Realistically, when do you think he comes? Because my boy Chuck Garfine's on Twitter telling everybody he's not coming. Yeah, when do you think he gets here? The earliest in a he's week. Here? In a week. How about a week? Give me a week. In Chicago, <laughs> I think honestly, um, it might be a bit of a buzzkill, but I think the earliest is like right after spring training next year. But. I would take that. I think Madrigal and Robert are both big parts of the 2020 team. I think they banked on it how they did things with the team at the end here. I mean, like, let's yeah, think about probably, it. You're probably we, right. We yeah. talked about, I mean, or I've talked about it on the show. After you struck out yeah. on Machado, you could have gotten an Adam Jones and a Marwan Gonzalez and thrown him in there, and you would have had more production at those two positions. And it might have helped out your other players. And it was like they didn't want to commit the two-year contracts with those guys because they intend to start Robert and, and Madrigal right away. In 2020. Yeah, so the thing about that is, though, like they're both at Winston right now, which I think is the right move. And obviously, like things might might start to change here, and they might start speeding up, right? But under Getz, like guys have taken a while to move, and they've taken the appropriate path. Now, look, I mean, Luis Robert is is what he's doing is ridiculous. Like he's going to be in Birmingham. I don't know how soon because I don't have a good enough book by May. Getz. He's got to be there by May. Yeah. I would, I would think so. And there is a log jam there. Now he's more important than everybody else. So like, you just kind of figure that out. But I mean, then if, if he goes to Birmingham and does this in Birmingham, then you're talking like, you know, top five prospect in baseball. You're considering like Juan Soto from last year. Like he's got to be up now. Now I usually wait until, you know, I got to see it at double A. Now I have no reason to believe he won't. Cause I think he's, he's really good. And I think he, you know, he was hurt, and I think that's a big part of it. And it's easy because it's a White Sox prospect to do kind of what you let off with with the question. You're like, oh God, they spent all the money; it's not going to work. They can't develop hitters. But my thing is, even if he's not as good offensively as was billed originally, he's awesome in center field. And like that's the one thing where, like, I was a big proponent of signing him. But I guess like when he was coming over from Cuba, or I, it just like escaped me. 
I guess I just assumed that he would like move to right at some point. Like he's staying in center. So, I mean, that gives you a little bit more leeway where like, you know, if he's not like some 40 home run guy, like that's fine. He doesn't have to be like, if he's going to hit 25 homers and get on base, but he's that good in center, like that's a perennial all-star. I mean, he kind of reminds me of uh, the guy that that's playing center field for the nationals Robles. I mean, they're very similar. That would be awesome. I would take that in a moment. Before we get out of here, last question for you. Last question for you. Everybody hears about the big five. I mean, that's the thing that everybody kind of centers around right now is that next year, unless some kind of deal happens or or something weird happens, you got Rodon, you got Lopez, you've got Kopech, you've got Giolito, you've got Cease. Those are the five starters and most people kind of assume that you see in the picture unless something happens, they go out and pick somebody up, they trade somebody away, whatever. But who's the guy right after that? And I because everybody thought Dunning, but Dunning's always injured. So somebody other than Dunning, who 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 could be a guy that could threaten to get into that rotation sooner rather than later? Or who would be next after those five guys? Yeah, I mean, I would have said Dunning, um, Alec Hansen if he bounces back. But I mean, he's he's pitching in relief right now to like build him back to like pitching five or six inning starts. I think um, a guy like Jimmy Lambert, who is in um, Birmingham, he was a fifth round pick, I think, in 2016 out of like Fresno state. He's um, probably more of like a number four starter, but I think he's pretty safely like a major league pitcher. And I think Bernardo Flores is pretty good too. He was a seventh rounder in 2016 out of USC. He's just like your, your total crafty lefty, good spin rate doesn't throw that hard. But I mean, like the numbers in the minors are, you know, pretty much as advertised. He's never going to be special, but you know, you don't really need him to be. You're banking a lot on you're banking a lot on your top two guys, and that's where it's kind of funny when you said the big five. I thought you were going a different direction. I thought you were <laughs> going to. I thought you were. I thought you were going to talk about the top five prospects in the system that everybody always talks about. And who's next after that? You know, because it's like kind of like a big cluster of guys like after those first five studs at the top there. But all I want is in a month. I want Yoan Moncada and Tim Anderson to still be doing what they're doing, and I don't care what anybody else is doing at this point. If they're, if they're doing what they're doing and Eloy still looks pretty good at the plate, I don't care what his average is. I love how he approaches things at the plate. I'm a happy camper if that's what's going on. Yeah, well, it's, it's just those three guys, and we just got to keep telling people that the record doesn't matter. Like, I don't want them to lose. I mean, look, the past the past two years, I'm getting angry when they win, you know, and it, it puts you in a weird spot as a fan. It shouldn't be like that now. Like, 2020, 20, 2020 they can pick six, they can pick ten, they can pick two. It doesn't matter. Like, that's, that's not the, the key right now. And I do want some of the veterans to play good so you can trade some of them. Because I, I think it's a big going to be a big trading period for them. Because they got a lot of guys that just they don't need. It's going to be interesting with a new trade deadline and the fact that they're going to be moving guys is going to be very, very interesting this year. James Fox, I appreciate you coming on, big guy. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Before we get out of here, I do want to give a little bit of a review of the Goose Island section because I sat in it. Okay. Okay. First of all, did the goose obscure your view at no, all? No, the goose is in the back. There's like, like, there's an L car bar that they've set up now on the concourse there. L car bar? Like an L train car. So, like, oh, like an actual, okay. Like it looks like an L train car, but it's, it's really a bar, but it's in that shape. Okay. So it looks like a red line car. It's like that. It's like that. Uh, it's like that train car restaurant on Congress. I can't think right. of the name of it now, but you know what I'm talking about. And the first problem with the the L train 
Har Bar is that it they're all facing the concourse. All the registers and all the all the people that are selling the beers are all facing the concourse. Yet all the people that are standing room in the Goose Island section want to turn around and just get a beer. They don't want to walk around a thing where they can't watch the oh, game stupid. and get into a line. Oh, that's so dumb. It seemed like there were almost like two lines towards the back end of the game where like one of the girls that was sitting there selling beers is actually taking care of the people in the section instead of the people that were in the line. It was they've got things they gotta work out there, okay? Listen, get my guy John Taffer from Bar Rescue out there. He'll fix that okay. up totally. Second thing was that the uh the POS system. That's a John Taffer turn. The thing where they, they punch in the point of service system. Two touch POS, baby. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the POS is a thing. Like right. as a business owner, like we have those at, you know, we okay. have one of those at So at they Westgate. have these things at the end of every row. On because it's like basically you have a long bar table in front of your seat. And they're like regular seats. It's like sitting in like a chair that you can move around. Okay. So first of all, when a fight breaks out, you can actually lift the chairs and hit people with them. So that'll be changed. Nice. The first time there's a fight in the Goose Island section, all the seating is going to change in there because you can literally lift the chairs and swing them over your head. This is a poor planning. Hey, man, WrestleMania was this like, weekend. You, may, like, you never know. I, I sit around and I look at how's it going to go bad. And I'm like, oh, man, there's like loose chairs here. You can pick up that are steel chairs. You can just like swing at people. It's a terrible idea. Okay. So now they got at the end of the of the bar area, they've got um, at the end of every row, they've got the POS system where the waitresses are supposed to be able to punch in what you've ordered because the food is coming up from the bar downstairs now. The Goose Island craft cave downstairs is now connected to the section. You know, for years you couldn't like walk down to that to that level. It was cut off. But now there's a staircase. You can walk down to the field level if you want to to go into the craft cave. So the food's coming up from there. Well, those were broken. So <laughs> they were running around with pieces of paper on day two. Now they'll oh get that fixed, God. okay? There's also waterfalls that they have set up. And one of them, I saw, I saw a Twitter picture of a game earlier this week where the waterfall that's supposed to be self-contained where it comes down and then it gets caught and goes back up again was not catching. So it was pouring down on the people in row two. <laughs> that's <laughs> the awesome. So they have to fix that as well. There's a few bumps and bruises. Here's my tip for you if you're going to st stay in that section. First of all, it's a cool section. But the last few rows of the Goose Island section are standing room only. They, are, they don't have a seat. They're higher tables to stand at. I don't think that's very clear when you're buying them online. Secondly, these $100 seats that are up in front, they upgraded us, me and my dad. And they're like, move up to the front and you get a TV in front of you. What? And you get like this big cushioned seat and it's $100, but 20 bucks of your $100 ticket goes towards your food bill. So it's really 80 bucks, 80 bucks you pay for, for the, the first seat 20. and you're paying right, for the first, you're first 20 dollars So you give them $100 up front. Here's the problem. The rows that are higher, Rows three and four that are actually in the stands, they look like they're fun. Then row two of that very expensive section is actually standing room on the field level where the waterfall was falling on people. Oh, my. In the bar level. And then row one is those beautiful seats with the TVs, but it's not like they changed the fence. So you're looking over a TV through a chain link fence with post- and advertisements and billboards blocking your view. So, they, they upgraded us to that section, and my dad and I sat down there for two batters, and my dad goes, I want to go back to our original seats. I can't see a thing here. So there are definitely things that need to be fixed. So if you decide to go into the Goose Island section, I think those $100 seats, you want to stay out of rows one and two. I have a, and, I think, and I don't think you want to do standing room unless you really want to stand the entire game in the back half of the Goose Island section. There are a lot of really good things. I love the service. I love the food. I, thought, I think if you're in the right seats... 
and you have the little table in front of you, it's a great experience. My dad was like, I could. My dad wanted to buy season tickets in row twelve because he was like, this is great. I can sit here and watch a game. They bring me my food. There's a table here. He thought it was awesome. He didn't see the whole chairs are going to get picked up and thrown at people angle that I saw. But I mean, like, you see what I'm saying? So I'm wondering, like, we know already that the White Sox have, when it comes to baseball science, um, you know, the White Sox front office leaves much to be desired as they have two people who work actually who understand sabermetrics, Rick Hahn and Rick Hahn's reflection in the mirror. Um, do you think it's probably the same thing with bar science? They had, they, they had some bar science they, problems. John they, they, Taffer would have walked in and John, Taffer, John like, Taffer would have walked in and been like, what in the holy hell is going on here in the Goose Island section? I would pay. <laughs> I would pay a month's salary to <laughs> sit down and watch John Taffer just screaming at Jerry Reinsdorf. <laughs> like, seriously, I would pay I would pay good money. Give me an hour. Of just of just Taffer just completely berating Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> and calling him a failure and calling him out on his excuses and and just I would I would I would I would love it and then I would even love it even more if like Kenny Williams was just standing next to Jerry when this was happening with his sunglasses on to, like pretending to not look shocked. All right, instead you know? of bar rescue, it'd be like uh, White Sox baseball rescue. Baseball rescue, and he shows up. It, it, Williams would be the guy that quits. Halfway through. Or gets fired. Something oh like that. Oh my God, right. I would pay even better money yeah, for that. I mean, like it would be, he'd be the guy on the show that quits or gets fired halfway through. Okay. Jerry would would understand that maybe he needs to be more hands-on. They, they all have their own character. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Like it would be something like that. And some girl that like runs like a concession stand would all of a sudden become like the general manager of the team because she knows more than the people that are above her. You know? Like, <laughs> Book it. Hey, Paramount <laughs> Network. Baseball, baseball, baseball rescue. rescue. Do it. <laughs> Another show is wrapped up. Another show's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. And then by the looks, it's going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. And the nude is baseman. And the nude is baseman. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up, and it's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up, and by the looks, it's gonna be a good one. Nudie's Basement. Broadcast Basement. The Nudie's Basement. The Broad Basement. Slancha. That was like Dropkick Murphys or something, right? <laughs> I felt like it. Are you or someone you know looking to learn how to play a musical instrument this year? Then you should be checking out Westgate Music School, 6527 West 127th Street in Palos Heights. Private music lessons for all instruments, including guitar, piano, drums, voice, bass guitar, violin, banjo, ukulele, and more. Are you a vocalist? Are you ready to play a musical instrument and looking to join a group? Westgate Music School offers group classes for rock band, acapella vocal, and barbershop quartet. Students of all ages and ability levels will have the opportunity to perform three times a year in a student concert. Gift certificates for Westgate are also available. More information, call 708-586-7002 or go to westgatemusicschool.com. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.